This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and I use my experience from working as a nurse for 44 years to help answer your questions about what happens at the end of life. And I'm Charlie Navarrete, an actor in New York City, asking questions that you are eager to have answered, such as, do you know where your will is? Marianne and I are both here because we believe that the more information you have in advance, the better prepared you will be in times of a crisis. So please relax, get yourself something to eat and drink, put on your comfy clothes, and thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me as we talk about dealing with illness, disability, aging, and death in our current healthcare system. In the first half, Charlie talks about Islamic funeral rites and has our recipe of the week. And in the second and third half, I'll be talking to Dr. B.J. Miller, a palliative care physician who has started a company called Mental Health, a health coaching and care coordination company that helps people rethink the way they approach a serious illness. And, and Marianne, when you say mental health, that's M-E-T-T-L-E, right? That's right. We're not, it's, it's not your mental health. Right. <laughs> we don't care about that. It's metal. Exactly. Last week, we watched the earthquake destruction in southern Turkey and neighboring Syria with a death toll at the time of this podcast of over 35,000 people in just a few days. As with disasters of great magnitude comes issues of how to bury the dead while trying to maintain cultural and religious rituals. The area is inhabited primarily by Muslims who follow the Islam religion. Islam is the second largest religion in the world and it was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him. A Muslim must be buried as soon as possible, and no more than 24 hours after death. After burial, mourners gather at the family's home to pray for the deceased and read the Quran. Halva, a sweet sesame paste candy, and our recipe of the week, is usually given to guests as they leave the house. The third, seventh, 40th, and 365th days after death are significant anniversaries, and the prayers, mevlit, which is a memorial service, are said either at home or at a mosque. When the mevlit is completed, the mourners have a meal and halva and other sweets like lokum, Turkish delight, are given to guests. After the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, funeral rites have been modified. Bodies arrive on the back of trucks after having been pulled from the rubble of buildings destroyed by the quake. They are then laid on the ground around the burial site, waiting for relatives to claim them or to receive their final preparations for burial. The bodies are passed to teams of civil servants waiting for the state's religious authority, who take them into tents, one for men, the other for women, to prepare them for burial and wrap them in white cloth. Then they are put in body bags and laid on a table where relatives pray for them as they would normally do in mosques. Many of the bodies have been damaged by collapsing buildings or had started to decompose, which means that they could not be undressed and washed with water before being wrapped in shrouds, which is what would be done in normal circumstances. In these cases, the people who prepare the body use an Islamic practice known as tayyamum, 
in Turkish, which allows disaster victims to be washed by gently stroking them with dirt or stones. This gives the deceased the status of a martyr, which is considered a blessing in Islam. Then they are wrapped in white cloth for burial and carried to the trenches to be covered with dirt by a bulldozer. May they rest in peace. So, such a sad situation there. I know. I, I can't. I can't imagine. And I don't know. It, it just brought back memories to me with, uh, you know, when COVID. You know, the, the height of the pandemic with COVID. Mm. People just had to to make do, and it, it didn't matter if they're remote villages in in Turkey, in Syria, or in India, or you know, in, in New York City. I mean, there was just not enough. Uh, spaces and enough people to bury the dead and a lot of them right and a lot of them you know across america you know refrigerated uh trailer trucks were used just to keep the bodies well from decomposing before they could be buried Mm. well our hearts go out to that area of the world and Please go to our webpage for the recipe of the sweet sesame paste called halva and additional resources for this program. We ask for your support in the form of a tax-deductible contribution so that we can continue to offer you quality programming, which many of you have told us has been of great help to you. Thank you in advance for going to our website to make your donation, as well as following us on Facebook and Instagram. Visit us at www. Dot everyone dies dot org. That's every the number one dies dot org. Marianne? Thanks for that report, Charlie. In the second and third half, we're pleased to share with you an interview with B.J. Miller, a physician who has dedicated his career to moving health care towards a human-centered approach on a policy as well as on a personal level. Led by his own experience as a patient, B.J. advocates for the roles of our senses, community, and presence in designing a better ending for our lives. His interests are in working across disciplines to affect a broad-based cultural change, cultivating a civic model for aging and dying and furthering the message that suffering and dying are a normal part of life. Currently, he's president and counsel at Metal Health, M-E-T-T-L-E, and you can find the information in our resources, which is the first-of-its-kind place for anyone confronting illness, disability, aging, or death. Metal is defined as a person's ability to cope well with difficulties or or to face a demanding situation in a spirited and resilient way. Mental health helps people outside of the traditional focus on illness, as well as outside the traditional medical system. While they can't change a diagnosis, they can change the way you navigate it. You can see our show notes for contact information. I chatted with Dr. Miller about the current healthcare system, including hospice and palliative care, as well as issues of trust and communication. And now, Dr. Miller. What's happened in these 20 years that people are needing additional kinds of services? 
why and why isn't yeah. hospice, I guess, offering them anymore? Or are they offering yeah. them and people have a higher level of need? Like, what's going on? Well, my guess is <clears throat> a couple things. My guess is one is that the industry of hospice is a little embattled. It has gone the way of mergers and for-profits and the financial bottom line has 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 ascended as a driver. Mm -hmm. I think just the, econo the economics of you know, venture-backed kind of thinking. Um, and I know that has eroded quality on some level. Um, I think so that's a player. I think the overseers, NHPCO, AHPM, have been slow to respond to protect the profession on some level, mm -hmm. uh, instead seeking financial stability, which is, you know, fair, fair enough, has been an issue for a long time. It's not crazy that, you know, I, don't, I still don't think a lot of hospice agencies are getting filthy rich. Um, so I don't mean to assert devilishness, but we're in a system that does what this is what happens. You just, you slice every penny in a zillion ways and things get cut out. So, and I say like the, 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 the powers of being in a profession, I'm not sure how good a job they've done at perfect uh, protecting the craft um, and then secondly or thirdly maybe I think you're also probably right that people as we get older with more and more chronic conditions that we are increasingly complex and that there's more to manage that may be true and then lastly you know maybe thanks to work like yours and ours and others you know maybe the country is in fact kind of waking up to what they need and asking for it. You know, maybe there is a little bit of good news here and that people are turning their attention to this phase of life and, and demanding more or needing more or seeking more. So anyway, that, that, that is my best guess. We could, obviously there's some cause and effect going on here. And I think we're probably, you know, sniffing at the right barn door <laughs> some years, things like that. <laughs> I think we're probably in the ballpark, and I'm sure there are forces at work here that I, at least I, I don't appreciate or understand. But it also probably goes with just the glacial melting of the healthcare, melting down of the healthcare system itself, which, you know, is hospice in some ways, is it just the stresses on hospice are just the same as stresses on any other piece of care these days? I, I don't know, but it, it, it is worrisome. I mean, right as we are, I don't know how you feel. I mean, first of all, one, we've got this aging demographic that we're just at the beginning of, so the, the needs are just going to go up and up and up. Right. And if we're threadbare as we are and barely holding on and not providing great care, well, geez, that doesn't bode well for the, for the future here. And then simultaneously, I don't know how I feel about how you feel about this, but, you know, I've spent, <laughs> excuse, excuse me, a fair amount of my professional life trumpeting hospice and palliative medicine, just talking about mm -hmm. it every turn I can get, right? And right. Sounding the bugle or something, you know? And part of that joy of doing that and the zeal of doing that was because, like you were saying earlier, Marianne, like you could really bank on, no matter what someone's situation was, you could almost guarantee that hospice was going to make things a little bit better. You know, that there was relief waiting for people. 
uh, rather through hospice or palliative care. And that used to be feel like practically a certainty and it made it trumpeting these little known fields much easier because you could know that people were going to, if they heard you and went that direction, they were going to be happy they did. And right. now I worry, here we are, sounding how wonderful hospice and palliative care is right when it feels like it's getting a little rickety. So anyway, all that put all that together, and it is concerning. I uh, And it also gets at why we pulled mental health out of the healthcare system. It, and so are people willing us, yeah. to self-pay for those services? <clears throat> they are, but <laughs> yes, and we are in the, you know, we haven't ever marketed ourselves per se except for talking about it. Um, out loud and podcasts and stuff. But so we don't have a huge volume of clients, you know. We need more, if we're going to make it as an organization, we need to welcome more folks into this fold. We need to get more clients. And so um, er, these early days, people by word of mouth who have self-selected this kind of care, um, the financial piece has not been difficult. And we have a sliding scale. We've not turned away anybody. Um, so at our early, these early days, um, it's manageable, but we're not yet stable as a company. We need to grow to do this care. And so to your question, I don't know at what point the self-pay piece is going to prove to be a formidable allergy. Um, mm -hmm. It is concerning for us. We don't like charging cash for uh, what we do. Um, and yet, we are not, for all the reasons we're talking, we are not going to go the way of the tr traditional reimbursement model. We're just not, not until that there are significant policy changes. You know, there may be right. avenues for us, like through through employers, et cetera. But right now, so to answer your question, sorry for a long-winded answer. Right now, it's not been a problem, but it might be as we try to hit more exponential kind of growth and attract more people into this into this model. This has also been one of the things that, that I've been wondering about in terms of the um, the death doulas. Like, mm -hmm. I keep try, you know, like I've done a, I've, I think we've done, I've done like two interviews with doulas, and part of it is <laughs> to help me understand why is that necessary? You know, <laughs> what, what are they doing that I'm feeling like a like an antique or a dinosaur or something like back in the day we didn't need the doulas you know mm -hmm. so why why are they necessary now like what what got lost and well i still I can't it, figure it out maybe you can tell me yeah <laughs> well i think it's related to what we're, i i here again you know you and i we're educated guessers here um so just thinking out loud together, I, I think it's related to what we're talking about. There are increasingly gaps in service, increasing disenchantment with healthcare, including hospice. So that leaves a vacuum. And uh, hey, there are these things called doulas, which is you know new yet ancient. You know, right. <laughs> there's a there's a sexiness to the whole thing. I think there's something kind of uh, everyone I've. I've talked to a lot of people, it's sort of right next to psychedelics as something that people are kind of interested in and ask about it, the kind of little twinkle in their eye. 
You know, so there's something kind of cool or sexy going on there. I'm not sure how to explain that, but there is. Um, so I, I think those are your two answers. One is there's a vacuum of needs not being met. And two, there's a new field willing and able to step to some degree to step into that fold that has the shiny new object slash ancient uh, shiny object allure. We have, I, I, I'm with you. I think we have some really big questions to ask ourselves at the field, again, to meet the current need, let alone this future growing thing. So I, and I do think when someone, let me just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about clients that I actually work with who uh, who do also reach out for a doula or who I even recommend they reach out for a doula. And it does get at what you're saying, which is sort of continuity in time. Um, whether it's because hospice agencies are short-staffed or the models change, I don't know. Um, but all I can say is a lot of patients are left feeling like they get a, they see a different nurse every time. There's not a real relationship that's given breath and air to kind of grow. So there's not this feeling of moving through this big experience with, with a team, with someone, with some, with some consistency. So there's different people showing up. And to your point, whoa, lots of inexperience, which really, really matters. It really does. You know, and not just, I mean, it really matters. And not just the have you do know how to place a catheter well, you know, the skill set per se, but the lived experience of seeing these um, uh, situations time and again. And it's, right. you know, there's a, this is going to sound self-important, but there is a wisdom that comes from that experience that you just are never, ever, ever going to get from a book. Uh, and you're not going to have most likely appear in your late twenties too. So anyway, so right. And, so yeah, so, so there's there's the maturity yeah. of the person and the maturity in the profession. They're not expected or encouraged or to do home visits home visits very often. There's been a real weakening, a part of that sort of split every hair, cut every penny a zillion ways. That means fewer home visits from the physician, for example, which means another level of disengagement, which means also you know all sorts of fallout from that. So. I, you know, I, I'm not surprised to hear what you're saying, but, but, you know, knowing when to bend rules, when right. to worry, when not, that sort of discernment is, whew, that, you know, in a younger person, I'd be concerned that that's just playing too loose with the rules versus really having an understanding of the systems issues and individual issues and being able to kind of weigh them all against each other and make a decision in real time. Um, but I don't yeah, think I, you can I, expect I, many I, mid-20 sums to do that well. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. you know, you're, what you're saying about metal, which is, um, you know, having those opportunities to be able to talk with an experienced palliative care nurse, experienced palliative care physician, or social worker. I found in doing the podcast, and, and everyone dies, we've been doing that. We're going on our third year, so we're starting our fourth season. Um, that people who I don't know will message me and will say, I have a sister-in-law who's going through this. Can she call and talk to you? And I would say, sure. You know, or I have, I, I have somebody who, BJ, I went to grade school with, who 
didn't go to our high school. So, I mean, just grade school with her. And um, who messaged me said, here's what's going on. Here's what's been suggested. What do you think? And I, and each of these times these things happen, I think to myself, it's so interesting, you know, that there's this need to have this other person to ask outside of, I don't know, is it because it's outside of that system? I mean, she certainly, you know, like in this case, this is, you know, was she trusting somebody she went to eighth, you know, eighth grade with? <laughs> I don't exactly have a lot of credibility, you know, in that point of view. <laughs> so, but what do, you, what do you think it is that, or even strangers will, because they know that this is what I do, or, this, you know, that was my work. Yeah. Like, what is it that you think that makes people say, I've got to ask somebody else, and so I'll talk to this person about it? Well, I think in a word, uh, trust, maybe even more specifically, is uh, the idea of talking to someone who does not have an agenda. And I think there's a well-deserved suspicion around healthcare and health systems that there are agendas all over the place and that patient care is on the list somewhere, but it ain't at the top. Um, so I, that's the sense I get from the, the folks who call it the metal is, you know, it's not, they're not accusing their medical teams of one. It's just, they have a sense that they're, you know, they're not quite hearing the straight scoop and they're not, and there's probably a lot of truth to that as we know. So I think, I think what people are attracted to by reaching out to a third party uh, is, is simply that just a safe person without an agenda who's seen some stuff. And that is a pretty magical combination um, and hard to find and hard to access. Uh, so I think, I think that's the answer. Thank you for that fascinating interview, Marianne. Please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies, and thank you for listening. Like sand through an hourglass, so are teeny tiny pieces of paper, but only if you shred them small enough. This is Charlie Navarrete, and from syndicated columnist and author Jim Hightower, the opposite of courage is not cowardice, it is conformity. Even a dead fish can go with the flow. And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we'll see you next week. Remember, it's your life, and it's your death. Take charge of it, and every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion, are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.